Oh, it's been raining here all week. It's been the coldest, wettest, like, spring I've ever seen. And then today, it stopped raining, though there's some black clouds. And so I jumped on my bike and went and got donuts. So, you know, they're vegan donuts, right? They can't kill you with all that sugar. <laughs> sugar and fat. <laughs> right, right. They're good for you. <laughs> vegan is healthy. Yeah, yeah. Just ignore it's the like, yeah. yeah. Sugar's perfectly vegan. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it did inspire me to leave my house. So, you know. <laughs> oh, we've had uh, a couple of days of rain here and it stopped raining. And now this morning, I looked outside and we've just got thickest fog outside of the moment. Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, all the magpies are warbling in it. That's very nice. Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Welcome to the Mac DevOps Podcast. Today I'm joined by my amazing, awesome, strong, super co-host, JD. How's it going, JD? Doing well, man. How are you doing? Ah, uh, I love you, man. <laughs> I think that's all the sugar from your donuts. <laughs> well, now that you mention it, I did have a donut. Bad, very bad, but good. Um, today on the podcast, we are joined by an amazing and awesome speaker for Mac DevOps 2022, Bart. How are you doing, Bart? I'm doing not too bad. Awesome. Not too bad, given the time of day. It's a little bit early, but that's <laughs> sorry, okay. Sorry for Saturday morning. Time zones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> time zones. Thank you so much for volunteering to uh, give a talk. I'm so much looking forward to that. You've been having lots of fun with uh, your uh, Swift Dialogue uh, project. Yeah, that's uh, it's been an interesting one. Actually, because it kind of started out as just like oh, I just want to do a thing just to answer, you know, scratch my own itch kind of thing, and I've got a few of those within where I work. And for this one, I thought, oh, yeah, whatever. I'll just I'll see, I'll ask them if I can open source it because the other stuff that I do, like developer wise, like they're all very sort of specific to our kind of setup, right? So they like, you know probably badly coded, but, you know, maybe talking directly to a service is internal or whatever it is. And this one, I didn't have any of that, like, even from the get-go, so it wasn't like I had to strip any of that out. So I thought, well, yeah, I'll ask work if I can open source it. And they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I thought, cool, I'll open source it, and then we'll just see what happens, and then I'll just plug away at it. And then, you know, just had people going, oh, can you get, make it do this? Can you make it do that? And it's like, sure. <laughs> and... uh yeah, it's kind of grown a bit, and it's it's sort of grown a bit beyond my sort of initial needs, but in a good way. A lot of the time, someone will suggest something like, "Oh, yeah, that is a good idea. Like, I really should that idea. That'd be cool." So yeah, so I've been doing that, and based on that experience, I'm gonna see if I can open source a few other of my my apps. I've got a couple that I've been meaning to rewrite, so I'll see if I can get those out there as well. But yeah, this one's a bit fun at the moment. It seems like a lot of times when we write code, um, it's just like a very specific thing, like you said, and it's only particular in a certain circumstance. And 
when I was in visual effects, we used to call it glue code. It was like this little piece sticks this little piece to that piece, and and then it's and nobody else can use it, nobody else wants it. But yeah, it it takes uh, maybe a little bit of effort to uh, write something that works for a lot of different people, and then it takes effort to put it in maybe GitHub or somewhere, and then interact with people and share and communicate with them. And how have you found the experience of uh, of open sourcing it, putting it out there, and generally pretty positive actually. I had, um, you know, I've had various scripts and bits and pieces out there. And so uh, I guess sharing code hasn't really been an issue, like, especially with scripts. Scripts are, scripts are kind of a bit weird because they're sort of answering like a bit of a, a bit more of an esoteric thing, I think. Whereas code is kind of like, like compiled code. There's sort of like this expectation that it's, it's formatted in a certain way or it's written in a certain way or follow certain rules and stuff like that so the way that i would write a script is not the way i would write chunks of code so i kind of thought about how that stuff is is sort of presented maybe a little bit more than what what i would for say like a you know a Perl script or a python script or whatever how has been the uh, ex- experience with like this is in swift so how long have you been working or dabbling in swift my first swift app was actually when swift one came out I actually took one of the apps that I wrote in Objective-C like years ago. And uh, I thought, oh, this new Swift thing looks good. I'll rewrite it in... I just knew, yeah, I'll rewrite this app in Swift. And so I started rewriting this app in Swift and I got it to like about 90% done. And I was actually having a bit of fun with it. And I thought, yeah, this would be cool to release. And then I kind of left it. And then Swift 2 came out and I thought, oh, God, they've changed everything. <laughs> I had to change everything for Swift 2 and got to the, about the same point and Again, sort of left it, and then Swift 3 came out, and then they changed everything. And I was just like, uh, whatever, this is too hard. And then, so I waited. I thought, no, no, I'm just going to wait until they solidify the code a bit, you know. And then, round about Swift 5, you know, I thought, yeah, I'll give it another crack. So I, I dug out my old Swift 2 code and was like, I don't know how to read this. Like the Xcode was just, it didn't want to know about it. So that experience was annoying. It's having to sort of, you know, Change my code every year just because they released a new Swift version. But I uh, understand, you know, that was sort of like their growth period. But generally, I, I, I quite like working in Swift. And um, Swift UI has kind of like been a bit of an eye opener because I never, I never sort of went to the storyboards route of making apps. So I, I've never written an iOS app or anything like that. I've always sort of interface builder draw up what my interface looks like and then attach code to it. So this was kind of like the first declarative UI, you know, kind of setup that I'd, that I'd sort of, you know, had a chance to play with. And it's, uh, there was a bit of a learning curve with it, but yeah, it's, I'm liking it. It's really good. I think it's, I think it's, you know, if I sit back and look at it, it sort of feels like there's more stuff that I could write using Swift or Swift UI that I would traditionally say, jump into like a python script or something like that so you know there might be you know instead of deploying a python script to do something it might be deploying a little compiled swift binary or something why do you think uh, swift ui is helpful uh, because normally you do like python with some kind of uh, weird generic windowing um, you know like gtk or something <laughs> yeah 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 well actually the, the objective c app that i spoke about before like i actually wrote a for our Linux desktops, there's a version of that which is all written in you know Python with GTK and you know make a window here and make a menu there and all that sort of stuff and that's you know 
sort of translating that to, you know, like a Swift UI thing where it's like, the best I can describe it is, is, is I can wrap my head around the logic, the, the, the mind map, I guess, of how the code looks a lot better than having code and then trying to imagine it, attaching it to a, like a piece of, you know, like a button or, or a window or whatever. So it's easy for me to make the mind map of how my app looks when it's actually all written in code. But, you know, hard code, part interface builder or, or storyboard or whatever. So I look at some, I've opened some projects with storyboards and I'll just look at the storyboard and I go, I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> doesn't make sense. But uh, I've opened up a few other Swift UI apps and yeah, like I can follow the logic of where things are and how they look and lots of stuff. So it's, for me, it's now going to be a bit of an easier to sort of get that first initial build going. So yeah, yeah, um, it's the way the moment works. <laughs> What is your talk going to be about? It's going to be about your cool app Swift dialogue. Yeah, so it's going to be around Swift dialogue, sort of how it kind of came to be, and sort of how it's developed, why I developed it in Swift UI, why Swift UI is pretty cool, why I like it, why I reckon everyone should be developing Swift UI. Nice. Should rule the world? No, shouldn't rule the world. Multiple languages are good. Yeah. So it's just, it's just going to be around that. It's it's a little bit freeform. I've got another talk that I'm doing on SwiftUI, which is going to be much more sort of, you know, how this app is great for your organization. But I thought Mac DevOps, it's going to be a bit more sort of DevOpsy. Well, it's cool to talk about the process. We always seem to be uh, concentrating on, you know, Python versus Go versus, you know, Swift or whatever. But um, there's a whole process of writing code and sharing code. And we have these things like GitHub and other code repositories and how has the journey been with uh, GitHub and open sourcing your app or other apps in the past? Or? Yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been an interesting uh, interesting process. So this is the first major chunk of, of code that I've uh, open sourced. Before it might have been you know like a, the odd script here or there or whatever, but this has been a, a, an interesting interesting journey because it's it's generally the code that I write is is, is really bad. <laughs> I don't open source it. I don't share it, and I don't want to because people will look at it and judge me. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's actually the if anything, it's like the the, the fear of judgment kind of <laughs> sometimes prevents me from doing that because I know I write some really hacky stuff sometimes, and and putting it out there, it's it's just going to get you know people pointing at it and laughing. So this one, I was a little bit more careful with with how I wrote it. I decided to actually you know, apply some you know code formatting rules, whether people agree with them or not. I don't know, but. Uh, it's at least hopefully consistent throughout the app. And yeah, it's been generally positive so far. It's got a few stars on GitHub. It's always interesting when they pop up. A lot of times with programming, they say, uh, you know, give yourself a project, something like try to solve a problem that you actually have, and then maybe other mm. people have the same problem. So I assume that you had a problem with dialog boxes or something, some kind of love-hate. Yeah, I had, um, so this is no, I'm not, not going to throw any, I, I can't say this without naming a names, but and uh, this is absolutely no shade on 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 Jamf Helper, but there was an issue in macOS 11 where you sort of throw a dialogue together with Jamf Helper, and for whatever reason, it decided to write justify all the text in the dialogue. And I couldn't figure out what what it was doing, <laughs> and I just knew that, that they didn't sort of look right. And there were a few other bits and pieces that I thought I would like to be able to do, but I, but I couldn't do in that. And rather than sort of, you know, <clears throat> do the whole journey of, of let's 
scale the internet and see if someone else has written something. I thought, well, I've been meaning to write something, so I'll write it myself. So we'll just see how hard this is. I actually used Nudge as a as a sort of jumping off point. Derek wrote a really good utility with that and showed that yeah, you, know, you can make good looking Mac apps in SwiftUI. Nice. So yeah, so I, I kind of you know cloned the Nudge repo and started looking through it and seeing how it worked and went, oh, this isn't actually too hard. Started with a blank window and started pulping text all over it and then adding command line options to uh, change what the text says. And that's how you get a dialog box. So that's, how, that's kind of how it started. Nice. It almost seems doable. You're, you're really making it uh, <laughs> seem approachable for someone who's you know, wondering if they should jump into coding or jump into, uh, you know, just clone a repo and take a look at it. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, and that's the, um, one thing I have found is being able to read other people's, you know, what they're doing and how they're doing it really sort of helps with uh, solving some of those problems and get you over, uh, over some hurdles. I've had a couple of, t- a couple of instances where, you know, you sort of, get to a point and it's, you just can't figure out what the next step is and, and how do you solve this thing. And as much as I don't want to sort of like look in the back of the book for the answer, like I want to figure it out myself, but sometimes that's just the way you got to do it. So there's a few instances where I've, uh, I've done that. And so there's a little bit of nudge code in there. There's a little bit of, you know, deep NoFi code in there to solve issues. And then maybe, maybe I use that code and then I've gone, Oh, actually I've worked out how to do this now. And maybe changed it a bit, but yeah. Wherever I've done that, I've sort of, you know, linked to the parent repo or chucked in the licensing or whatever where required. Well, you know, good yeah. artists, good artists create and great artists steal. <laughs> what is it? Something smart like is that. that, is that the, Insert okay. smart quote about coding and uh, helping <laughs> our uh, our fellow community members out. It's it's really neat. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is what inspired me for Mac DevOps. Kind of it was people writing one off scripts, people using GitHub, and then knowing that I wanted to get more into it. And, and I, I, I figured my problem of trying to understand this world was, uh, you know, a, a situation that other people were trying to figure out too. So learning how to use GitHub and putting code into GitHub and encouraging people to share code. And it's, it's not easy. And, you know, it's not easy to code or it's not easy to worry about being judged, maybe, like you said, <laughs> people looking yeah. at your code. Historically, I've had a bit of a, I don't know whether it's just a hesitancy in, in sort of sharing that. I just... I got a fear that someone's going to look at it and just go, ah, oh, you know, what the hell? You you don't know what you're doing because I mean, I'm I'm a programmer by trade, so that's what I did when I left school. I went to and did learnt coding as that was that was going to be my thing. But the language that I learnt was COBOL, not any sort of you know <laughs> modern language or anything like that. So COBOL's not modern. <laughs> it's well, yeah, we're, we're waiting for the uh, uh, COBOL UI. Uh, frameworks <laughs> that, uh, they haven't materialized yet yeah so like almost the way i was taught coding was all that old school you know stuff so you know the way i code now is kind of like reflective of that i, I don't know how the new kids do it but the way i do it compiles so good enough for me <laughs> so did your is so you went and did a computer science degree or some kind of programming degree or it's not a degree it's a, it's a diploma so i just went to a college and went and did uh it was like a 18 month course so you know you learn the basics of programming what you're supposed to do you know draw draw up a flow chart of your code and then pseudocode it and then translate that to actual code depending on what you're using so we, we you know learned COBOL, C, Pascal all that sort of stuff visual basic wasn't in the curriculum at that stage that's how early it was so yeah 
that was I don't know sometime in the nineties. <laughs> it's actually it took probably that got me into an IT field. It probably took another ten years for me to actually start using it. Oh wow! In anger, <laughs> you know, an actual job. So and it, and it's not my fault. That's not what I do. It's not like I'm not employed as a coder. It's just I do coding as part of you know my job, which is a Mac admin at the moment. So you're working with uh, Jamf. Working with Jamf. Uh, Jamf is our MDM, and yeah, prior to that, Monkey, all the open source tools. I've got a little bit of. I've, I've touched Monkey a little, uh, in 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 a couple of places where um, you know that was you know, when was it Monkey? Oh, it was before Monkey Two was coming out, I think. Or it oh was, wow! Greg was just he was working on Monkey Two. And there were a couple of things in there where I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if it did this. And at that stage, I was fortunate enough to be able to, to, you know, make a couple of little contributions, my tiny little corner there. So nice getting in and helping out there. And that's, that's kind of like where, my, where I kind of started out, I guess, with uh, in the Mac admins community as far as code is concerned way back then. Takes a big step to uh, make a pull request or to try to submit code, and uh, I'm I'm sure we've talked about it in the past with other people. But and I've I've talked in person with people that have and wanted to submit code to uh, to Monkey, you know, specifically, you know, and in that case, you know, what is the right way to do it? Do you uh, talk about it endlessly in Slack or other mailing lists and discuss the proposed change, or do you just make a you know a code suggestion pull request and then see wait for the feedback or <laughs> you know? Yeah. The good thing that I found is is that the two things I've got to think of when sort of doing a PR to someone else's code is I want to make sure that my code looks and acts the same as the code that they're writing, right? So it's got to follow whatever the code style that they're using. Like, you know, make make sure it fits in to, to their code for starters. And then the other one is that, you know, it, it's not trading on someone else's functionality, but it's doing something that, you, know, you want to do that you could benefit from but also that the community benefit from so it's not just you know hey yeah. this code change is going to affect me but it's not useful for anyone else like that's you know sort of great like sure fork the code and do itself that's fine that's why it's open source right yeah but doing that pr like if you think hey this this change is going to be great and i think other people can benefit from it then yeah you absolutely jump in you know do a pr You'll pretty soon find out if the PR is not up to scratch. And the, the, the great thing about that is, is you can create the PR, right? And then if it needs changes, then you just make changes to that branch and you just keep committing to that branch. And that just, you know, slots in as soon as it's ready to go. It's cool. And the PR, you know, gets accepted in and, and done. But, you know, the other thing is, is I've done PR. I actually had one the other day where I committed a PR and it was just like, oh, this is actually already being implemented in some other PR from mm. you know, a couple of weeks ago. We just haven't merged it in yet. So maybe someone else is working on the problem as well. But yeah, yeah, it's always a bit of a, that, that first hurdle of, of, you know, being accepted that your code is good enough to go into the project. Like that's always a, a yeah. thing But I've, I've found that, you know, just, just do it. And then you'll soon find out where it's wrong. And then, I mean, that's how we learn stuff is, is finding out where we need to correct things. And yeah, you can only get better from doing that. And then on the other side, when you submit code to um, code maintainers, you know, I've, I've heard that they have to think about, well, they ha- if they accept this PR then and it solves problem X, Y, or Z, then they have to maintain and keep this code, you know, going and maintain <laughs> it and going down the line. And 
I, I remember when Wade was doing the the middleware because he wanted uh, Amazon S3 repo support for Monkey, and then I remember you know a few people were like, "Well, we don't need this, so why, why, why?" You know, and so then they made the code work with all sort of like as a sort of gen more general middleware. Maybe it could be more useful, but still, most people were like, "Well, we don't really need this," and then suddenly, you know pandemic happened a lot of people were like hey hey we need this <laughs> we need our repo yeah. to be in the cloud <laughs> like, yeah things change <laughs> suddenly you need a feature <laughs> yeah and that you know maybe that's that's the thing maybe your feature that you want to do is just something that's at the moment like useful for you but there'll be there'll be a point in time when it'll be it'll click for other people and they'll just go oh wow this is awesome and i've kind of found that with a little bit with the stuff that I've been doing where, you know, everyone's like going, oh, this is great. Like you've open sourced your app. That's really good. And it's like, cool. Is anyone using it? Like it's hard to, hard to gauge how many people are using it. And then it's when people start using it and then they go, oh, this is really great. Nice. Yeah. Can you add this? Can you add that? <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't had any PRs into my code yet, but I've had plenty of suggestions. <laughs> people are quick with the suggestions. They're very quick with the suggestions. But that's okay. Not everyone's a coder. Do you have any uh, words of advice for anybody who wants to get into coding? What do you think people, either the kids today or the olds today, how how should they get into it? What should they do? If you have something that you want to, well, it's not even if you want to have a problem to solve. Like, you know, take a look at basic app that does, you know, something. Like the old standard, you know, we start off with like a calculator app, right? The world doesn't need more calculator apps. But by all means, jump in and make one yourself. Like, there's you get to learn how buttons work, you get to learn how logic works, you get to learn how updating the screen works. And these are all the basics that you need, right? So you need to take input from the user, you need to give them feedback. And starting with a with an app that is already existing in the world is great because there's no pressure on you to sort of say, you're not solving the problem for the world, you're just solving this problem for you. And, you know, some of the apps that I've done is, is, have started that way where it's like, you know, yeah, I could just go download an app and do this and then I'll be done. But, you know, I haven't learned anything about how it actually works. So, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I would sort of go with just start making something. doesn't matter what it is. If you're interested in coding, just, just sort of dive in. There's like the 100 days of Swift or the 100 days of Python, like those kind of online courses. They're free. Just jump in and it, it really starts you at a at a point where it's assumed that you don't know anything and mm-hmm. they sort of teach you the, the they teach you the language but they also teach you how to do those sort of basic you know input output stuff so yeah if you're interested in coding there's gazillions of resources out there and then once you're really good at it you'll just realize that you're copying and pasting stuff from stack overflow anyway so but you're uh, able to interpret their value or you <laughs> yeah, can... <laughs> right <laughs> actually that's that's yeah i mean that's a good point i don't i there's a bit of stack overflow code in my stuff but it's always it's always fun because you're sort of you're searching those resources and you're not really searching for the code to do the exact thing that i want to do you're searching for the way that someone's done it maybe slightly differently but now i understand how that function works better now well, I'm, I mean, with, with Unix, it was always like, go to the man page, but always just go to the end of the man page and hope there's some examples. Just show me an example yeah. of how this works. It's like, right. you know, you can describe every letter of the alphabet. That's an option. But uh, just tell me how, scenarios of how I would use this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Sometimes Stack Overflow is interesting because you have people fighting or discussing back and forth about why a solution is better or not better. Or, you know, it seems like about 20 years ago, I found this Unix book that was a Unix for Mac OS projects. And basically it had really just, it was just a lot of good examples, like not just, you know, Unix stuff, but just examples of how you would use those and, and some specific Mac OS ones as well. And sometimes that's what we need is examples. Yeah. Well, actually, that's probably where I'm at at the moment with, with, with Swift Dialog. I mean, I've, enough people have seen it now that it's sort of getting some attention. But the one thing that I feel is kind of missing is that list of examples like, well, what's a scenario where you could use it in kind of thing? So, you know, I'm, I've sort of created a, a companion repo to that, which is just literally like a script that if you want to show this type of dialogue you can do this if you want to show nice. a different type you, you can do that if you want to process some input from the user using json use a script that does that like nice and trying not to get too complex with it either like literally just like one thing like we're trying to make it just one thing so and throw in a couple of like okay now we've assembled everything into one big long sort of script so they're a little bit harder to read but you know i get a lot of questions about you know oh how do i do this you know, one thing. And I've, I've tried to sort of throw those kind of like examples into the help text for it. But I think, yeah, just like having a script that you can download and you can run and you can see it work, maybe it gives people the insight to sort of build whatever it is, whatever workflow they need to do. Yeah, sometimes people write an amazing tool, which is awesome. And then sometimes you'll stumble upon it and you're like, okay, well, why is this better than X, Y, or Z? Or what, what does this do different? Yeah. Or, or maybe what is the reason to use this? What problem does it solve? Yeah. But that adds extra work to the <laughs> the coder who just <laughs> finished writing this awesome tool. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the way I started building those up is literally just the way that I've been solving my own problems with it. So, you know, I've sort of stripped out all the, 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 the custom stuff that, you know, only applies to my environment, sort of making it a generic and then putting that code on the, on the script uh, repo. So as I come across problems, I solve them, and then I stick them up there. And then nice. hopefully that makes sense for other people to read. So if they don't make sense, they just they can always hit me up in the Slack channel or whatever. For most people do. And so are, are you working with uh, Xcode? Is Xcode your preferred environment for writing Swift and Swift UI and all this? And yeah, yeah. So it's everything has been a, a from scratch Xcode project. So there's no. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. I haven't dabbled with building. Swift in a different tool yet. I haven't I haven't gone deep enough that I've been breaking Xcode. Put it that way. That's good. So it's, it, it still works. <laughs> and do you do you recommend Swift in general for maybe Mac admins to be using to you know writing something that solves a problem and compiling it and you know with Xcode as a general utility or or do you think it's just better for for bigger apps or I think it could be used for a lot of smaller stuff. One thing, it, until until I worked out how it worked, there was one thing that got me excited was you can you can actually write a script and you can use Swift as an environment. Right. So you might write a Python script or a Bash script, but you can also write a Swift script. And I thought, oh, this is cool. Like this, you know, could I use this to replace Python in my environment? You know, rather than deploying out a Python tree or whatever, and then sort of, that kind of doesn't work because those scripts are actually, they find their scripts and they run, they run like scripts, but they're actually compiled. So 
OS in the background takes those and compiles them, and they won't work unless you've got the command line tools installed and stuff like that. So what I thought would be really cool if Apple made an um, interpretive interpreter for, for Swift that could run Swift as a script, I think that would really open up you know, more people to using the language. It's kind of cool at the moment. Like I'll, I'll probably end up writing a few, instead of writing a, a Python script, I might use Swift instead. And then, sure, that means I have to compile it and deploy a compile that. But they compile down pretty small. They're pretty light. And the language is, is one that I think has got a long future in Mac OS. It's not sort of, there's no sort of gray areas in the future for it. Like Perl, I think. I don't know <laughs> if, if or when that's going to go away. But, yeah, you know, it's still around, but for how long? You know, Bash is kind of stuck at version 3. Like, how long is it going to hang around for? Python, we already know what's happened with Python. So now we're in the process of deploying out, you know, Python 3 on all our machines. And where is it? Do we use a relocatable one? Do we use the system Python? Do we, you know, all lots of questions. And it'd be nice to have that level of language built into the system and have it have it, have a decent chance of it surviving for the next, you know, three or four years. Yeah. I mean, they got rid of Before PHP. Got rid of PHP as well, I guess. Uh, they're, they're, as soon as Apple yeah. stop, stops using Perl themselves, then they'll get rid of Perl, <laughs> Perl and Ruby. And uh, <laughs> I, I've seen their installers. I don't think Perl's going away anytime soon, even though it probably maybe should. But yeah, <laughs> they use a lot of Perl. Nice. You were talking about how you needed to use the Xcode. You have to install the Xcode tools as well for uh, even compiled Swift apps, or you still need the Xcode or not? No, 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 you don't need to code for the compiled stuff. It's just uh, if, you, if, you, if you create your uh, Swift uh, code as a script, mm-hmm. then you need, you need the Xcode tools. So it, it's kind of weird, actually, because it looks like a lot of things, it's like it's like 90% there, right? It's, you sort of think, oh, this would be great. You, you get to the point where you think, I could use this to solve a bunch of problems. And then you realize that uh, you still need to deploy out the command line tools for it to actually work. It's not mm-hmm. an interpreter. It's actually compiling in the background which is kind of annoying just easier to you know move your uh, just to ship your own python then right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well i mean we're all doing that now anyway i think that's that's going to be the norm moving forward so may as well stick with python since i'm shipping it out anyway <laughs> yeah i think uh, we're currently shipping uh, python 3 with monkey and and, and uh, temporarily shipping python 2 for monkey report until we can move that yeah. over <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, same boat. I've actually, um, when I was looking at a Python, I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing out Monkey. Like, all that devices have Monkey installed, so there you go. I've automatically got Python. So I'm just using Monkey Python nice. for that. So I don't know whether that's a good move or a bad move. Whatever works for us. Yeah, and then Python 2 for Monkey Report at the moment. So just sort of holding out for Monkey Report 6. Yeah, we're just, um, I'm trying my best uh, as a community organizer uh, to... Uh, <laughs> Get the community together and uh, help push Monkey Report Six out. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't. I'm, I'm not familiar at all with Monkey Report and code. So, uh, it's definitely the type of thing I'd love to be able to jump in and sort of help out with. But it would take me like a couple of months just to get up to speed. I reckon the real problem with open source software is it depends on the struggles and the work of certain you know individuals, and then you know they all sometimes get like more complicated jobs or newer jobs or different jobs or you know, it's like, uh, you know, Aryan could look after Monkey Report and then he got a different job and then it became, you know, less, he had less time and then Tuxedo was looking after all the modules and then he got a different job and then 
Mozim was yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a bit of a thing. I mean, that kind of happened with Coco Dialogue, didn't it? That was, uh, everyone was using that a few years ago. And there's a whole bunch of workflows based around that. And then they sort yeah. of got into Coco Dialogue 3, was in beta, I think, and a bunch of people were using that. And then it just sort of fizzled, so... Yeah, or Eric with Nudge. I mean, he changed or moved into a, like a security job from MacAdmin. So you know, your focus changes, yeah. and some people the apps disappear because they you know they join Apple or they join another company, and then they can't yeah. look, look after their their app that they're building. So, well, that's a, I mean, and that's a one of the concerns I had was like you know if I jump into a different role or whatever it is, like what happens with this? So the only one only thing one can hope is that it's you know usable for for other people and if people find it useful enough that someone might pick it up but generally speaking you know that's probably not going to happen but the code, the code will at least be there that you know if someone else does something else in the future and this is no longer being updated they can always pull or see how that was work how, how that was done or you know pull something interesting out of it or whatever but our optimistic hope is that we can inspire others to code and look at our code and contribute and participate and take over if they have to and but I guess the reality is sometimes people are happy to use a project, but not as either comfortable or ready to yeah. jump in and code. Uh, and then, you know, you're like, why am I, <laughs> why am I open source? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I'm really, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it all comes back to like, this is scratching my itch. Yep. And while it continues to scratch my itch, I'll continue to work on it. And, and you know, with my other projects, I think the, the most I've, the least updated one of those, I probably haven't done a major code revision on that since like 2014. And I just check that it makes sure it runs every year. So, and, and maybe that's just all it needs is just to check the make, make run, run it against the macOS betas. And if it runs, great. Nice. Good for another year. So, are you happy with where Swift is these days? You said Swift five is is that the, <laughs> that's the you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's stable enough to use. You recommend it. Yeah, I think around around the sort of the Swift four, it started to get that um, level of stability, and, and Swift five is now. I feel very comfortable with writing code in that and having it not be usable, you know, in eighteen months' time when they release a new Swift version. So yeah, it, it's it's as as far as languages go, it, it's I I think it's pretty easy to pick up. There's a lot of resources out there. The only thing I will say about it is is when you are uh, searching around for resources, and, and maybe and this is kind of like a Mac coding thing in general, I think a lot of the resources out there assume that you're writing for iOS, and that's kind of like been annoying in the past, like even with Objective-C code. Like you, you go and search, how do I do this? How do I do that? And it's like, yeah, all you have to do is just use blah, 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 UE kit, you know, whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's Mac OS, I can't use UE kit. Mm. And it's kind of made a little bit easier with stuff like Catalyst, which is supposed to take that kind of code and, and kind of make it work. But really, if you look at Swift UI, there's no differentiation there between, for, for the bulk of the code, there's no differentiation between, say, a, a, an iOS device or a macOS device. It's only when you're doing specifics like, you know, draw a window or something like that. But um, all your buttons, all your logic, all that sort of stuff, it's all... You know, SwiftUI, same, regardless of whether you're on iOS or macOS. So that, I think, sort of lowers the, the entry bar to, to developing on macOS. I mean, 
just finding the right kind of resources um, has been a would be would be one of the hurdles. So I've become very good at googling and 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 filtering out iOS code. So you're saying Apple could produce a lot more uh, examples or better documentation for Mac developers with Swift, perhaps? Or I think their documentation is okay. It just all comes back down to that, you know, like you say, like you want to see that example at the bottom of the man page, right? Mm-hmm. And all the examples were like, yeah, this is how you do it on a phone. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do it on a phone. I want to do it on a computer. How do I run a subshell? It's like, oh, you can't do that on iOS. <laughs> so you got to figure it out yourself. <laughs> I mean, this stuff is out there. It's just, it's, it's like 95% of the stuff that you're looking for is, is all iOS based. So you kind of got to learn how to filter that out. And now that's, that's less of a problem. Like with SwiftUI. So you can learn SwiftUI on a phone. That's fine. And I, I guess that's really where Apple's coming from. Like with, they've kind of tried it a few times, right? To, to sort of get, they've had this massive success with the phone. And, you know, how do you get those developers over and developing apps for the Mac? And historically, it's kind of has been these two, it has been literally two separate platforms from a development standpoint. And I think that line is now significantly blurred enough that if you are an iOS developer, that you can jump in and start developing Mac stuff. And it's really only the last you know, that, that last like 5% of Mac specific stuff that you need to sort of come across, not 80%. <laughs> I'd see a bright future in it. I don't, I mean, a few people complain about it, but that's once you're, once you're across how Swift UI is doing its layout, rapid prototyping an app is, comes quite easy. It's a little bit like writing CSS, right? <laughs> you know, you sort of like laying out in code. So you can get some sort of weird effects and stuff like that. But as, as once, once you actually realize what it's doing, you can sort of keep those those new elements sort of within containers. And then, then now you can just position those wherever you need them to go and it becomes a lot easier. That sounds cr- crazy, but um, I'm going to assume that it's going to, it's awesome. <laughs> 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 Designing a UI in code. That's just crazy talk. Yeah. It, it's it, it, the first time you do it, it makes no sense whatsoever. So it, it, uh, there was definitely there was definitely a learning curve with it. And the one thing I will say, like, don't fight against what it's trying to do. Sort of just accept that this is the way that the code was designed to work. You know, in terms of like you know designing your layout, and then there'll, there'll be a moment where it just it'll it'll click, and you'll go ah. Right, yeah, now I understand why they're doing it this way. That's all fine. And then it just all falls together and then, yeah, it's all good. So, yeah, but the first time you start, first time you start doing it, it does, it, it sort of feels like, you know, what they're like, feels like you're fighting against it. And that's not really a great feeling, but do, do the, do the like 100 days of Swift. So, we got to lock like, you in a room for 100 days. And then uh, yeah. at the end, you make an app. <laughs> at the end, you make your calculator app. There you go. <laughs> awesome. With the whole uh, pandemic and remote work and everything like that, how are you getting your uh, information in and enjoying, you know, like conferences and how is how is it all working out where you are? And- I've actually liked the opportunities that have opened up because now I can sort of virtually attend, you know, a bunch of conferences that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to go to because being in Australia or on the complete opposite side of the planet to everyone else. It's a bit hard to get to hard to get to to 
more than you know one overseas conference a year really unless you've got like a really nice fat budget so being able to to virtually attend these things like whether it's wwdc or whether it's MacDevOps or whether it's jnarc or you know mac admins or all those great conferences that in previous years it's like great the conference is on and then you just hang out in the Slack channels and just see what people are talking about and then maybe later you can watch the videos and and now i can sort of you know interact with those real time with, with everyone else so that side of it has been really good um even if it has been at like two or three in the morning that's okay we're used to that time zones <laughs> time zones so yeah so that side of it's been really good i think uh I'm, i am looking forward to going back to in-person conferences there is definitely the you know those hallway tracks that you miss out on and then just you know catching up with people yeah, yeah, you know, that side of it, that side of it is kind of missed. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be definitely looking forward to that. So I'm hoping there'll be a conference or two sort of pop up in Australia that that we can go to, or work gives me a good enough budget to at least attend one overseas one. That'd be nice. Yeah, and we hope that the the worldwide situation improves so that traveling is is safer and attending conferences is safer. And mm. well, thanks uh, Bart for uh, spending this time with us. How do we uh, find you on the internets? Where would people will be able to find where you hang out? Yeah, so I'm at Bart Ridden on Twitter. I'm Bart Ridden on Slack. I'm Bart Ridden on GitHub. I'm Bart Ridden everywhere. Yeah, so yeah, generally hang out on the on the Mac app and Slack, doing stuff. But yeah, hit me up on Twitter or that's pretty the only social media that I actually hang out on. Really. Thanks, Bart. Thanks very much for having me. It's been uh, a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for another Mac DevOps YVR podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider buying us a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com/mdopod. Support and encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community by supporting Mac DevOps. Buy us a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash MDOPOD. If you're interested in sponsoring the Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast, send an email to hello at MDOYVR.com. Thank you to our awesome Mac DevOps sponsors. For the 2022 Mac DevOps conference, we would like to thank Kanji, our platinum sponsor. Thank you, Kanji. Visit them at kanji.io. Our gold sponsor is SimpleMDM. Thank you, SimpleMDM. Visit them at simplemdm.com. Our silver sponsor is Adigy. Thank you, Adigy. Visit them at adigy.com. And thank you to our live stream sponsor, Mac Stadium. Visit them at macstadium.com. Our graphics recording sponsor is FleetDM. Please visit them at fleetdm.com. Please take a moment to visit all our sponsors. We could not hold Mac DevOps YVR without the support of our sponsors. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. That's weird. I wish you guys could hear this. I don't know if you can hear it, but you guys sound like chipmunks.